The Lymphoma Voices podcast brings you a series of conversations around topics of interest for people affected by lymphoma, the fifth most common cancer in the UK. Uh, hello, I'm Tara Steeds, Policy and Public Affairs Advisor at Lymphoma Action, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Helen Knight, Director of Medicines Evaluation at the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, often referred to as NICE. Welcome, Helen, and thank you for joining. Uh, before we get into questions, would you like to introduce yourself and say a bit about what you do? Of course. Uh, thanks for having me, Tara. Um, yeah, as you said, my name's Helen Knight. I'm the Director of Medicines Evaluation at NICE. I oversee the guidance production that uh, makes recommendations on whether new medicines should be recommended for use on the NHS in England. There's a, a process that we follow and um, we use independent committees and, and I'll talk through hopefully today in, in a little bit more detail about what we do and why we do it. So lymphoma actions submit to health technology assessments carried out by NICE to ensure that the patient voice is included in decisions about treatments. And so it's great to have the opportunity today to explain more about health technology assessments, what they are and why they're so important, which is why it's great to have Helen here today. Um, so firstly, can you tell me a bit about the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, referred to as NICE, and what they do? Yeah, of course. So to start with, our, our core purpose is to help practitioners and commissioners get the best care to patients fast, and also to ensure that the NHS and taxpayers get value for money that's spent on medicines. And so there's a number of different ways that, that we do this. So um, we produce useful and usable guidance to health and care practitioners. Um, we do that by providing rigorous and independent assessment of the complex evidence for new health technologies and medicines. We develop recommendations that focus on what matters most and drive innovation into the hands of health and care practitioners. And we want to also encourage the uptake of best practice to improve the outcomes for all patients and, and everyone that uses the NHS. We want to always look at the best available evidence to develop our recommendations, um, and that's super important. And health technology assessments or technology appraisal recommendations are uh, one type of guidance that NICE produces. So it isn't just the medicines that we produce guidance on. We do look at whole suites of disease areas as well. But the work that I know you have been closely involved in and, and what I oversee the delivery of is mostly on when we see new medicines that are coming to the market and we're able to, to undertake our assessments to support the NHS. So you mentioned health technology assessments there. So for kind of the benefit of people listening who aren't so sure, what exactly is a health technology assessment and why do they exist? Yeah, so, I mean, we have to make difficult decisions, really, and striking the balance between the effectiveness of medicines, but also the best use of public funding um, and delivering, as I said before, value for the taxpayer. So a health technology assessment looks to balance and assess the clinical effectiveness of a new medicine with the cost effectiveness of providing that treatment in the NHS. So we look at new pharmaceuticals, we look at gene therapies and all these different biopharmaceutical products, but we can also look at procedures and devices as well. It's important to note that, you know, the approach to clinical and cost effectiveness 
is making sure that we look at each new medicine, but we try and give a fair and consistent approach to evaluating whether or not we consider it value for money. And so that's why we, we have a, a health technology evaluation manual, which explains the process that we follow and the methods that we use to assess value for money. So really it's understanding that we know that new medicines, we hope that new medicines are clinically effective and, and give important benefits to patients, but we also need to be mindful of how much they cost and make sure that the benefit gets justifies that the cost that we have to pay. So you kind of touched on it there about the fact that we know those medicines might be beneficial. So kind of before it comes to a health technology assessment, what process might a medicine or treatment have already been through? The medicine that we look at, I mean, it's important to note, we can only look at a medicine and a health technology assessment once it, you know, that, it, that it's going for a, a regulatory approvement. Um, so um, in the UK, that's done by the MHRA. And they assess really the safety and efficacy of the medicine and whether the risk benefits profile is positive. So we normally do that alongside a company applying for a, a marketing authorization for their product. So we do we do start that early. So we, we engage early with companies to understand where are they developing new medicines? What does the evidence look like that's um, being developed? What type, what's the timing of the marketing authorization likely to be? And so we want to schedule our evaluation, which looks at effectiveness. So it's looking at efficacy, which is seen from clinical trials, but then how does that translate into effectiveness in real life in the NHS? And um, we try to align as closely as possible so that our recommendations are there at the point that a product may become available for patients. So as I said, work closely with the companies to understand the timing. We have a topic selection process and a scoping process. So we understand, you know, what's the population that we're looking at? What are the current comparators in clinical practice? And start to create a picture of what's the actual health technology assessment question going to be and make sure that we can involve the right stakeholders early on. And that's where we, um, we engage patient organisations, clinical organisations, commissioners as well. So really start to build a picture of um, what the question is that we need to be answering, but also um, start to engage with people so that they know when we are looking at the medicine and when we will need their input to help us come to that decision. So you mentioned the MHRA. Can you explain a little bit about who they are? And can I clarify that it's them who license the medicines as opposed to NICE? The MHRA, um, which stands for the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, they are the group or the organisation that regulates medicines in, in the UK. And as you say, they are the responsible organisation for granting a marketing authorisation or granting a licensed uh, medicine. Um, so yes, that is, is one element and that's the, that's the kind of start. So when a company starts to engage and thinks about when it wants to get a product license, we also start to understand because, you know, as we said, we want to issue as close to marketing authorization as possible. So we know that that process is ongoing. We're not part of that process, but obviously understanding the timing is really important for our work program. 
So it sounds like that early engagement is is really important in that kind of process. And I guess across the whole um, health technology assessment process, what are all the sort of different stages or the main stages that that medicine will go through? Yeah, and, and also, um, you know, important at all of within, within all of the technology appraisals work is that we do actually have those topics referred by the Department of Health and Social Care. And that's we're given like a formal remit from the Secretary of State. So uh, whilst we can start exploring topics for, for scoping, we normally have that referral from the Secretary of State. And that means that it's formally put on the NICE's work programme to, to commit to delivering a, a recommendation. So all of the key stages are found on the NICE website, but I do understand for people that aren't familiar with NICE, it, it actually can be and seem quite a complex process. But as I said, once we've got the referral from the Secretary of State, you know, we, we start the process and the formal start of the process is where we uh, send out an invitation to participate. So that's, we say, it's been referred, we're looking at this topic and we invite the relevant stakeholders to participate. They're known in, in our world at NICE as consultees and commentators as well. And we also ask for clinical experts to be involved, commissioning experts, and we also invite all of our stakeholders to nominate experts and also patient experts as well, because as we talked about, that's you know, an important aspect for developing our recommendations. So the main evidence does come from the company who markets the new medicine or will market the new medicine. That's mainly because the company are the people usually driving the clinical trials and have all of that information, some of which is still confidential because, as I said, we're looking at this sometimes before it actually has a marketing authorization. But we do ask for other stakeholders to submit evidence to NICE at that point. And it's important for us to understand, you know, what's the current state of play for that, for that population? What's the current service like? What's the current, you know, how, how good are the current treatments? And what are the potential benefits of the, the treatment that, that we're going to be looking at? And as I said, you know, sometimes we will have people who have experience of using that because they may have been part of a clinical trial. But other times, you know, if a trial hasn't been run um, here in, in England, um, then people won't know that. So but we know that patient organizations have good networks, you know, sometimes across other countries. So we're able to bring, you know, a good amount of um, experience and viewpoints and I think what's really important, certainly for me on the patient organisation front and patient expert front, is the evidence that we're getting in from the clinical trials and from the company. Is that reflective of what's important to patients? Are the outcomes that have been identified in the clinical trial, which are often clinical outcomes, are they the ones that are most impactful to a patient and most important to a patient? And obviously, um, we want to assess quality of life as well. So we're looking at has there been health related quality of life considered in the trials? And that's where I think patient organizations and, and, um, and the clinical organizations as well are able to kind of give a view on that. Mm -hmm. um, often we hope that the trial has looked at the right outcomes and that, you know, companies have had those conversations early when designing their trials. Um, but we want some confirmation of that through, throughout the evaluation. So once we've kind of had all of these submissions from our different stakeholders, the evidence is then looked at by an independent evidence review group, um, and they're mostly kind of academic groups. 
and they prepare a report on their view of the evidence that they've seen. Um, so obviously we have the clinical data um, included, but we also have a cost effectiveness model that, um, that is provided by the company and the academic group do quality assess that and have a look at that and see if they think it's robust and appropriate. And then we also have a technical team within NICE that's also looking at that. So talking to the company, talking to the academic groups, um, understanding where the issues are or where there might be questions that we need answered before we go to committee. And then once we've collated all of those different reports from different people, um, the evidence is, is then shared with our independent appraisal committee. And that's a committee who are 25 people, all of different backgrounds. So we've got some frontline clinicians, nurses, statisticians, so that will understand the statistical trial designs, health economists that help understand um, the cost effectiveness analysis. Um, and importantly, we have um, lay members on committee as well to help bring that um, overarching perspective from the patient and, and, and public uh, side as well. And at the, the committee meetings, we do also invite the nominated patient experts, clinical experts and commissioning experts to input into the discussion. So we do hold our committee meetings in public. Um, the first part indeed is public, so where we can have that open discussion. And then once we've kind of used that opportunity to interrogate the information, explore the key issues for the decision making, um, then we'll, we'll close and go to a private part too. And that's where we can discuss any confidential information as well. But also we need to make the decision making in private before we, we make the decision. So once all of that's happened, um, we start producing the documentation that goes out either for consultation afterwards. Sometimes if we can make a recommendation from one committee meeting, then we will do. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, the committee, based on the evidence that, that you know, they're comfortable, it, it's, it can be recommended as a, a good use of NHS resources. So we try and be as transparent as possible um, in our decision making, say by holding the meetings in public, but then also publishing all of our documentation once we're putting a decision out into the public domain. And if we need to, we have a consultation and that's an opportunity for the, the stakeholders to respond, but also public as well. And then uh, once that happens, all of that response to consultation goes back to the committee for a further decision. It's a reasonably lengthy process. You know, as I said, we want to be transparent and we want to be rigorous. No, thank you, Helen. I think it's great for people to hear that kind of start to finish process. And you kind of talked about some of those stakeholders um, and the role of patient organisations and people with lived experience. It would be great if you could expand a bit more on why it is so important to consult those people with lived experience and, and patient organisations as well. Yeah, it, it, it adds, it adds um, real value to the discussions, I think, and it put the context behind why we're here, you know, why are these medicines even being developed, you know, what's, what's the state of play and what's important for patients and their carers and families, really. And I think having people to tell us where things might be missing, and I think we have to recognise that I know it can be a burden to patient organisations and patient experts, particularly, you know, as individuals, if they're coming along. But, you know, we have had some real impactful patient experts, uh, you know, over the time that, that I've been doing this at NICE. You know, it helps the committee understand that, you know, the, you know, we're talking about people at the end of the day. We're all humans and we have to consider it from their perspective. 
I also think it's helpful for the patients to, to see how the information is discussed. Some of it is very technical and I know and there's more that we can do to help people engage properly. But I think maybe we can be a little bit clearer about where we think that input is needed um, and what it can bring rather than asking very generic questions about is, does this seem right to you? I think there is more, much more that we can do. But I think that the patient and public involvement really is two key principles. So we have to involve the lay uh, lay people and organisations who represent their interests and, and give them an opportunity to contribute. And I think it, it allows us to have a greater focus on the relevance for, for the people that are most directly affected by, by the recommendations. So if a treatment is approved by NICE, how long is it before that treatment is then available on the NHS? So, you know, as we as we said earlier, we, we aim to, to produce the guidance as, as close to the launch of a product as possible. And uh, once we've got a, rec a positive recommendation for routine commissioning and, and final guidance has been published, the people that commission or, or, or pay for the for the medicine, so either the integrated care boards or NHS England or local authorities, they then have three months to provide the funding for that medicine in England. So that basically means that if a clinician thinks it's the right treatment for a patient, the NHS must provide that funding by three months. So, you know, it can vary sometimes. There are some that may be implemented faster than that, depending on how easy it is for commissioners to be ready to, to deliver that actual medicine. Um, so I think sometimes there may be service delivery aspects that might not make that time frame easy. And sometimes we have to vary that funding time frame to account for, you know, perhaps a service being set up. But most of the time we try to be transparent um, in the implementation section of the guidance to make it very clear, um, you know, what the expectations are for the health system to, to deliver the medicine, really. Things are slightly different in Wales, so they, they commit to providing the funding and resources within two months of the final draft guidance publishing. But I think importantly for, for people that you know, kind of are interested in, in your work, when we look at cancer medicines, the NHS does make the funding available from the point that we issue final draft guidance. So that is before final guidance. That comes out of the Cancer Drugs Fund, actually, so that that kind of interim arrangement from final draft guidance to final guidance is funded through the Cancer Drugs Fund. And then after that, it transitions into, into routine funding. Um, so you mentioned the Cancer Drugs Fund. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? It's um, a fund that allows access to uh, promising cancer medicines. And it's where a circumstance that the committee are looking at the data and they think there's clinical promise, but there's also outstanding clinical uncertainties about how good and how well the product actually works in practice. And that obviously has a knock-on effect on the confidence on cost effectiveness as well, because if there's a, you know, kind of a clinical uncertainty that will feed into actually the an impact, the, the cost effectiveness uncertainty as well. So the Cancer Drugs Fund um, is, a, is a fund owned by NHS England, and we work closely with NHS England when we're thinking about developing a recommendation for use in the Cancer Drugs Fund. And that's what we term a managed access recommendation. 
And so what will happen is that the committee will, will look at the medicine, assess if there's any clinical uncertainties, also look to see will those clinical uncertainties be resolved or help to be addressed during a period of managed access? And if so, can we make a recommendation for that? It's also important to know it's not just about the clinical uncertainties, but it's also the committee will still want to see that there's potential, plausible potential for cost effectiveness. So, you know, we can't just decide we're uncertain on the clinical aspects. Let's put that medicine in the cancer drugs fund and wait. We still want an understanding that at the end of the day, because we will relook at the new data after the time specified, so whether that's two years, three years. And the data could come from an ongoing clinical trial. So particularly for cancer, we might have quite immature kind of survival analyses and we're waiting for more mature data to, to help resolve those uncertainties. And so we will try and keep the period of managed access as short as possible um, to be able to address those uncertainties. And then a period in managed access commits the company to submit the, the new information back to NICE and for NICE to, to relook at that information um, and decide whether it should be kind of rolled out to, to the wider NHS at that point. So when NICE do make a recommendation, is that applied to all four nations or is it just England? The recommendations from NICE um, apply to England. That's our formal remit. But we do have um, agreements um, with Wales who, who take our uh, and use our technology appraisal guidance. And you'll see that specified in the implementation section um, where we refer. There's a section about England. There's also a section about Wales. And, and we do also have agreements um, with Northern Ireland as well who, who use our guidance. Scotland have their own evaluation process for new medicines and that's undertaken by the Scottish Medicines Consortium. Um, we do have close links with the SMC um, and we're looking at ways that we're able to collaborate in the future to think about work sharing etc. So although they have their own process um, we do you know we are working closely with them. What happens if a treatment isn't approved? Are there kind of alternative ways that patients could access it? And can those treatments go through the appraisal process again in the future? Well, we have a good recommendation rate with, within our medicines programme. Um, and, you know, we're, we, we're recommending above 85% of the medicines that we look at. So I think that's a really positive message to, to send to people. Unfortunately, some of those uh, recommendations are negative, And that's where we don't feel that um, either there's enough clinical benefits um, or the, the cost effectiveness isn't demonstrated. As you say, a negative decision doesn't mean to say it can never be used in the NHS, but in all reality, it's unlikely to be made available on the NHS. And I think there are other routes through NHS England. So the individual patient request forms can sometimes be used, but we know that that often isn't successful um, because it's, we're looking more at cohorts of patients. Um, but what is important is that we do keep our recommendations under review. So sometimes even if we say no, we might be aware of a further clinical trial that might be ongoing that we know will report in the next few years. So we'll kind of flag that as an opportunity for us to consider 
um, re-looking at the recommendation and redoing the appraisal once more evidence is available in, in the future. So I think it's important where we say no, that we keep the surveillance of the information going. And also we're happy to, to hear from our stakeholders if they become aware of something that we haven't identified that would trigger us to rethink about that recommendation. So our final two questions we've got, what motivates you to do your job? I believe that the NHS is a, a great resource that, we, that we've got in England. And, and I believe that, you know, the way that NICE approaches that to be able to help the NHS be, you know, use its limited resources in the best way to benefit all patients um, is really important. And to do it in a really fair and consistent way that totally motivates me to get up and I'm totally bought into what we do and how we do it. Yeah, uh, you know, I feel privileged to have this role at NICE. And finally, if there was one message that you wanted to give people with lymphoma, what would it be? I would say to keep engaging with NICE and with the life science industry, really, I think. It's great that we've, you know, seen new medicines come. There are more coming down the pipeline. But let's also try and um, engage and share knowledge with each other as much as possible. And as, as, I, as I mentioned in you know, some of my earlier comments, that actually the patients can really help understand, are the outcomes the right outcomes? Is, are they the outcomes that are really meaningful to them and their families? And tell us when they're not, because we want to make sure that we are capturing all of the relevant benefits. Um, and so obviously we need the involvement of people um, who, who live with diseases and conditions to tell us if everything is captured or it's not. So um, I think um, knowledge sharing and, and engagement, definitely. Thank you so much, Helen. Um, that's been incredibly informative. Um, it's great for he people to hear more about NICE and the health technology assessment process. So at Lymphoma Action, we tried to respond to all lymphoma-related health technology assessments, uh, which involves reaching out to people affected by lymphoma to seek their views on their experiences of living with lymphoma, as well as their thoughts about these new medicines. And we also have people affected by lymphoma speak at committee meetings, as you mentioned. Um, and we know how important it is for the patient voice to be represented in these important decisions. So thank you again, Helen, for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. For more information about lymphoma, and the support we can offer to people affected by the condition, please visit the Lymphoma Action website at www.lymphoma-action.org.uk. Lymphoma Action. Inform. Support. Connect.